Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross-cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents, raising confident Korean American children. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful. Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Create American Parenting. Hope you are well and staying safe as we now have entered uh, March here in 2021. So uh, to you and your entire family, we wish you health, uh, safety and happiness. Uh, excited to talk to our guest today as we uh, grow up with you. Uh, last month, we talked about toddlers, infants, and kindergarten, the tiny people in our lives, and we're aging up with our audience and with us. So here to tell us about our guest is my host, Jang. Hi, everybody. Um, happy March. Um, today, um, I'm excited to have our first fellow physician mom here. Um, her name is Dr. Clara Lee. She's a Korean-American mother of two young children but also a board-certified pediatrician in New Jersey um, an and an avid public educator of COVID-19 through social media. And that's how we connected as well. Uh, welcome, Clara. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no. So you, um, for our guests, we would like you to actually tell us about yourself and your family and your work a little bit. So I'm a general pediatrician. I work in Bergen County, New Jersey. Um, I'm married to James, who is Taiwanese-American. And um, we have two children, ages four and two. And um, we have been um, living here in New Jersey um, after we had our first. Um, and we were in Manhattan for a little bit. Um, and, uh, we are, um, spending a lot of family time together now because of COVID. Yeah. How, how old are your kids? They are four. My son is four and my daughter is just turned two. Yeah. So, um, kind of similar ages, um, uh, mine and Jerry's kids. Um, and how are you guys faring through this COVID-19? <laughs> Um, we have been doing pretty well. My area was hit hard in March, April, um, May, and we pretty much had lockdowns in New Jersey here. Um, and uh, there have been many, many cases of COVID, and I've taken care of many, many patients and uh, with who have had COVID, and I'm so grateful and thankful that actually with children, um, we're seeing uh, pretty mild uh, cases. So that's actually been a blessing. Um, but our community at large has been affected quite hard in the beginning, and we learned our lesson in the beginning, I think. And since then, New Jersey has put in a lot of um, 
precautions and um, restrictions in place um, and kind of taking the reopening slowly. Yeah, no, I think um, New York, New Jersey, um, you know, uh, was kind of the epicenter in the beginning uh, in March and April. Um, and then who knew it was going to last this long <laughs> and just keep on going. Um, and, you know, we, we have Dr. Claire Lee today um, to talk a little bit about, um, you know, um, school age kids and going back to school in the era of COVID-19 and the vaccines. but how have you been in terms of as uh in terms of being a pediatrician and seeing all these patients throughout the pandemic and and um you, you know how have you been able to take care of yourself and your family as well so i actually work in a very large practice and it's a multi-specialty group so we had the ability actually to go from um, you know, seeing patients in the office to um, doing telemedicine, like kind of like Zoom visits almost um, with our patients almost overnight. And that was uh, a learning curve there, certainly. But um, I think it's it was cool to utilize technology. Um, and it is Definitely, it was something being developed previously, but now it's the wave of the future. It's here to stay, telemedicine. So, um, you know, we see we've been taking care of our patients in that way. We have been also taking care of our patients in the office as well, doing um, testing for COVID and kind of, you know, kind of thinking on our feet a little bit because we need to um, keep our babies and our checkups and you know we're all about preventive medicine so trying to make sure that our our well kids are well and our and to also provide care for our children our patients who are sick um so that has been our challenge for the past year i would say and who knew you're right who knew it would be lasting this long but um you know, I'm, we have been doing a pretty good job. And um, thankfully, with, in regards to actual COVID in children, um, across the board, I would say that, you know, whether there's exposure or there's um, actual like symptoms with children, I, I would say probably 95% of cases are mild. Um, you know, cough, con you know, congestion, um, it lasts two to three days. Um, some kids have fever, some kids don't. But by and large, I would say children are not as sick as they're as the adults. And most of the children that I see lately are um they, who are more symptomatic are because they've been exposed with their families. So you mean and, as opposed to like in school or peer with peers? Right. And I'm seeing many kids who are being coming to our office to be tested because they've been exposed in like a childcare or a school setting. And often those children are not symptomatic. 
And even if they test positive, and most of them don't test positive for COVID. And um, I think our Department of Health is doing an excellent job um, with tracking in schools um, and making alerts. Uh, with So I think that um, New Jersey has been doing pretty well um, after uh, after a school has opened um, in terms of uh, school like uh, spread. So I think that, you know, opening schools is is really important for kids, um, but we have to do it in like a very safe way. So um, I, in, in June, um, things started to reopen here and uh, during that time, like masks have been mandated. So I think it really helps. Um, How the I mean, that's such a relief to hear mm -hmm. that, you know, as a kind of frontline worker, you're seeing kids actually do well. Um, and even the kids who needed to be tested because of the exposure are mostly negative. Um, yes. As a mom myself, I think that's actually like a big relief to hear that. Um, uh, so in terms of like in school, um, what kind of measures are you seeing that school's doing and um, what has been, how about for the, uh, um, you know, elementary and middle school kids? Uh, I think that they're, they're suffering the most as a psychiatrist, I think, when, when they're virtual this whole time, because there are regions where, like, you know, in Seattle area, we have not opened at all. Um, everything is virtual for the past year and a lot of kids are suffering. Are you, um, are you seeing that as well in your office? Mental health has been huge. Yes. And I'm seeing a lot of, suffering as well. Um, and I, you know, I think that there's two parts of this question. So the first part is of the mental health is I've actually seen so much mental health problems that um, our wait lists for child psychiatrists have almost doubled, tripled, um, and developmental pediatricians are even fewer, and those wait lists are up to a year, if not longer. And that is, I think, a huge struggle, that lack of care for um, our mental health um, for our kids. So, um, I, but I think that it's super, super important in this age because I feel like almost everybody has been so affected by um mental mental health like at least there's this underlying anxiety for everyone including adults um so i think kids are very good at picking that up even young oh, yeah. children and um and definitely school-age children and teenagers especially who who like they only care about their peers. <laughs> yes. They thrive on social peer interaction. And when yes. you don't have that, it's like the life has ended. Oh, <laughs> yes. So I think that that has been uh, taken a huge toll. Um, but for schools who have opened and who have been, they have been 
provided guidance by um, the Department of Health in New Jersey. Um, and and uh, the guidance for that is um, they have to space out the, the desks so that they're about six feet apart, at least three feet, they're saying. Um, and if they don't have that physical ability, then um, they will also have like a hybrid model, meaning um, half the group of kids will go on one day and then the next group of kids will go the next day. Um, and then there's also guidance on like when to um, switch the school from this hybrid sort of model to a virtual model if there are some cases in the schools. So that actually has, I, I found has been most disruptive to the students in, here in New Jersey because when there are cases of COVID-19 um, in the community, then kids are getting it, they're bringing, they're, get, they're either bringing it home or um, if teachers or other staff are, have, have positive cases, then the school ends up shutting down for two weeks. And then the kids and parents have to struggle to find childcare. Yeah, what do you do with that? Like, I mean, do you take two weeks off work? Yeah, That's so really hard. that has been the struggle, that has been really hard mm -hmm. for working parents. You know, I think let's talk a little bit uh, about the vaccines because it's kind of on, on the rollout. Obviously, um, we, we don't have um, plans for vaccines for children yet. But with um, adults getting vaccinated, um, you had just mentioned like um, before that uh, you guys have actually started to vaccinate teachers um, yes. in Jersey. Yeah. Um, do you think it, this is going to make a drastic change or I mean drastic n uh, number change in kind of COVID numbers and how kids fare and how other people fare? I'm very hopeful because I think that um, you know, vaccination ulti and ultimately is going to be our way out of this pandemic. Um, you know, I, I, I give vaccines normally every day because that's my job. Um, so, but, you know, I've actually been very interested and, um, you know, reading, staying up to date with the vaccine development of, um, you know, the, the Pfizer Moderna vaccines, and then of course the other, um, like the J&J AstraZeneca vaccines that are coming out. So um, I'm very, very hopeful, you know, actually, you know, the other vaccines that are constantly being developed um, in terms of safety, efficacy, et cetera, um, that we have comparison is actually the yearly flu vaccine. And we, as, as pediatricians and as, you know, we actually see uh, more burden of disease in terms of the flu every, every winter. Um, and the safe, the, the efficacy of the flu vaccine is actually um, about, depending on the year, anywhere from 40% to 60% only. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yes. I did not know that. 
So where, where, whereas the COVID vaccine is, they're saying about 95, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So the COVID vaccine is, is about 95%. And, you know, I have to, of course, receive the, the flu vaccine every year. Um, but there have been years after the flu vaccine, because I'm just, you know, I, I see flu cases every single day during the, during other, um, winter months. And, you know, there are times when I have gotten the flu, even though I've gotten vaccinated before, but I say that vaccines are like a seatbelt and it kind of prevents you from getting, um, you know, in a really bad car accident, like it prevents you from like flying out of the windshield and um, ultimately, you know, like getting really, really bad accident or so that you, you could possibly die, you know, from being ejected from the car. Whereas, you know, if you get the flu after the flu vaccine, you'll get a less disease, a milder disease, um, and you won't be like hospitalized or, uh, you know, like have worse complications because of the flu. So that is why we recommend everybody getting the flu vaccine. Um, you know, in winter months. And that's why we also recommend getting the COVID vaccine is because we don't want you to get the severe disease. Yeah, no, I'm very, very hopeful about the vaccine and um, minimizing the, uh, the consequences of the disease. Um, so then, you know, it sounds like you've worked, you've worked through the pandemic and you've been, um, in the trenches all the time. How are your kids doing and how are you, do, um, are, are, what are you doing for, for your own childcare? <laughs> so, um, our, so I'm very blessed because I have both sets of grandparents um, close by. So my, I actually moved back like five blocks away from my parents. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so it was actually intentional. Um, so they are very, very um, involved. Um, and then they help with like drop offs and pickups. And my son is four, so he started attending preschool since he was two during the the you know lockdown period in March to June, um, he was home. Oh, that and, was key, having your parents then. Right, having my parents, and I also have my mother-in-law. Um, she like kind of splits her time between New York and New Jersey as well, so she helps sort of half of the week when she can. Like, um, so I'm I'm very blessed. That's really great. Um, yes. So then they're, they're uh, actually your kids are exposed to both like Korean parents and Taiwanese grandparents as yes. well. Are they exposed to both languages? Yes. And I speak Korean. I tried to speak Korean with with my kids um, and my mother-in-law and my husband will speak Mandarin. And uh, my son actually had speech delay. And he, we stopped speaking three languages because um, we felt that he was being confused a little bit. Mm -hmm. But 
he's he's like taken off and he started like he is much better at at understanding both languages um but my daughter is too and she's remarkable she can speak all three languages and without without confusion oh no way so yes she, so, so she knows like who speaks which too right like yes and certain words she will I don't know how or why, but certain words she's more comfortable with mm. one particular language. So she'll say, you know, like, oh, like pop or versus rice. And then she won't use the Mandarin for it, which I don't even know. <laughs> but then okay. for egg, she uses jidan, which is egg in, mm -hmm. in Mandarin. So we so try. She can choose Yes. Um, that's so interesting because I mean, I, obviously, so you're you know, bi well, tricultural uh, yes. uh, family, but I I would think it would be so um, interesting for uh, as a mom to have your children speak a language that I do not understand. <laughs> It'll be like a secret <laughs> secret language for you and uh, for them and the um, the dad. <laughs> yes, I think that it's a little bit. But I feel like it's so important for them to be able to know, speak and understand both. And I think I'm trying to learn with them. So I'm making an effort to try to um, expose them um, as much as possible. And actually during this, you know, like pandemic time, I've tried to expose them more because ultimately you know, sometimes the, the TV ends up being the babysitter sometimes for, so, oh, yeah. but we, we're so lucky because we have, you know, Netflix or Amazon and they have actually programs and you could change the language on the programs programming and they watch their favorite shows with either Korean or Mandarin, which is great. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think Jerry does that for his son, but only in Korean. Now you, you've got the three languages. That's pretty amazing. I, I do that as incentive for him to watch cartoons, where, for example, <laughs> I say, you can watch Super Wings, but we have to watch it in Korean. And then... Yes, I do mad. that too. Yeah, he gets mad. And he goes, <laughs> I want to watch it in English. <laughs> and then I just tell him it's not available in English today. See, and then there's the pushover mom here. We we just kind of uh, resorted to English because she's like English. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're we're trying to um, get the Korean back into our lives because our, our uh, you know grandparents were a big part of um, her life in the beginning, and she spoke pretty good Korean. And then once they moved, um, you know, the exposure is not as much. It will come back. You know, when there's this young. Mm -hmm. And they're exposed and they have like the basics of language. Um, it comes back because I actually was, I'm second generation. I was born here and I spoke with my parents and then I actually um, moved to Bergen County, New Jersey when I was in eighth grade. And then um, I didn't know a lot of Korean back then, but but coming here where there's a lot more Asian people, um, I I started picking it up more. And then, I, of course, actually through what, watching Korean dramas, I learned a lot. <laughs> yes, K-dramas are very important <laughs> yeah. in learning languages. 
Um, well, so, so, you know, now that we're talking about your kids and you have two little ones, but um, the, one of the things that we talk a lot in our podcast is um, how our identity as a Korean Americans have become kind of, of more important of more importance as we have children and how, and we started to have put more thoughts into what it means to be a Korean American or American parents, Korean American parents. Um, I, is that something that you think about, especially because, you know, now you're doing trilingual for your children, you're, you're actually incorporating, you know, Chinese and uh, Korean culture into your children's lives. Um, so we try to definitely um, be more mindful of celebrating um, holidays like uh, Lunar New Year past, and we definitely celebrate Lunar New Year, and we try to be kind of incorporate both cultures. Um, you know, even in like in our our day to day, you know, we'll always make sure that they, um, you know, you know, wake up and say good morning in both Korean and in in Mandarin. So we try to incorporate this into, you know, you know, into our day to day. And, you know, we're also blessed in this area to have um, a lot of like multicultural like education and just um, so, and our friends are, you know, very, very diverse. So we have, you know, Korean schools, we have Chinese schools, we have um, a lot of those opportunities for our kids. And we've definitely um, been wanting to, to take advantage of those. And, and um, you know, even as parents, we'll, you know, I think, the 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 tiger mom sort of starts coming out even earlier <laughs> <laughs> and i you know when i was younger i said i'm never going to be like that because my mom was like that and then i see like myself morphing into it <laughs> yeah what tiger mom things are you doing so you know i we're not actually right now because of the pandemic but we said we said oh you know I will have discussions with my husband about, oh, already from like a preschool level, like, oh, do you think that they'll, that, you know, our son will like music or art or sports, or, you know, we'll think about like, what kinds of extracurricular activities will, will we put them in? And I think that as, you know, this is more of a conversation that Asian parents or, or Korean American parents would have, at such an early age versus, you know, you know, I think that my, you know, when I see patients of my, my um, sort of like Western um, cultures, they're just like, oh, well, they're, they're in preschool, they're just let them play or, you know, whereas we're a, a lot more mindful about these kinds of things. I don't know if it's the upbringing or it's just like embedded in our DNA. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I, to, I think it's really, um, w one last question that I actually had personally is, you know, um, so I'm a child psychiatrist, but, um, after I had a ch my child, 
um, I had a different look on my job, kind of like my, my working with the child and the kids, um, especially I think in the before having the child, I aligned myself a lot with the children. And then and then as I, I grow as a mother, I do see the points from the parents as well. And trying I think I maybe I'm more better rounded psychiatrist mm -hmm. <laughs> that way. But um, um, you're a pediatrician, you work with children uh, all the time. Like, um, how has motherhood really has it affected you being a pediatrician? Oh, it definitely affects you as a pediatrician. Um, first of all, you appreciate um, what a challenge it is to be a mom. Um, and you definitely kind of sympathize with the struggles of the mom much more. And so, if you, you know, there are so many things that you read in a book or you read guidelines and then you say, oh, well, then as a parent, you realize, well, then there's reality. So, <laughs> so in that way, I feel like in, I've, I'm more of an empathetic pediatrician to families and you realize more about that there are different, you know, there are so many differing, um, like sort of struggles that from the parent side and the child side. So you become, I agree, more well-rounded. I have a follow-up question on that though. Cause I think, you know, Jang and I, I've learned from Jang, right. And um, uh, my, my spouse is a pharmacist and she also juggles with like pharmacist hat or mom hat and it's not one or the other, but like, what is, and, and both of you, I guess to the both of you ladies, like what is your gut instinct? Is it, mom instinct first or is it you know years of medical training that kicks in because you know for for all of us not medically trained folks like we just have like either visceral dad reaction or the anti which is oh this is the way that my mom my mom treated me so i don't want to do that um like how do you guys approach the balance between sort of the uh what you feel is right or is all of your parenting and all of your uh, how you talk to your partners about how you want to raise your kids based on your education. And what can we learn for those of us, again, who are not um, trained that way on sort of who to listen to and, and what to believe, or do we just go with our own intuition? If you could share on that, that'd be great. Ah, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I asked the big questions on there. I don't speak a lot, but I, I asked the good ones. Um, do you want to go first? <laughs> okay, I'll I'll, so, I'll be short. I'll okay. be short. Um, um, I think I think it's all of those. Like you know, um, personally, I think when it, when it comes to my child, I think my instinct is like everything. All training goes out the door, right? And my husband will say, "You're supposed to be the child psychiatrist. You're not setting any boundaries." Um, but um, I, I do think that um, for me, um, what motherhood uh, my personally has done is that every family has their own culture that um, that incorporates part of their education, part of their upbringing and part of their, you know, um, background. So um, for, for me, I think um, that knowledge that not there's no no right or wrong answer most of the time um, has been very um, helpful in 
raising my child and, and that there's really not too many wrong, wrong ways to raise my child. Um, and that has been a little bit of a comfort. I think that is also a very big question <laughs> and deep. Um, so I, I think that, you know, your, your, your experience as like, you know, a person comes from, you know, both your, your upbringing and it comes from your, you know, like your education as well. And, you know, and, and to a certain degree, you know, like your environment that you're also currently in. So I think that, you know, all of these things, um, I channel, um, you know, both as a, as a pediatrician and as a mother, but definitely as a mother to your own child, you're definitely a mother first. And everybody tells me, who tells me this, who are my friends who are physician mommies is you're, you know, mommy number one. So you always have this sort of visceral reaction first, but sometimes, you know, but that being said, you know, you always, you will also have, you know, your, my training and everything in the back of my mind. So one anecdote that I will share is I come in from, from like, um, like a 12 hour day at the office. And then I come in really tired one day and then I see my one and a half year old girl and like my four year old, my three year old boy and my mother-in-law is here and my, my husband is here and they're eating popcorn. <laughs> and you know popcorn and little kids, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> and popcorn is, Hell, it is a choking hazard for toddlers. And literally, I just literally like just flip out because my world, I just literally have this. I took care of this um, patient during residency who aspirated a popcorn kernel and had to have a had to have a procedure done under anesthesia to get it out of his lot, like his bronchus and his lung. So I had, I like just immediately went back to that time as a resident and I like completely freaked out and my mother-in-law and my husband like looked at me like, why is she so crazy right now? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, um, I think that like our personal experiences definitely, you know, color our, our, you know, our parenting styles and parenting in general but I just you know after I calmed down I said please don't give them popcorn <laughs> so, the, so there there is some gray areas and then there's some really black and white areas where you're not gonna do it <laughs> so now I think they have learned and I think one time they had they ate popcorn like without me but my kids don't really eat popcorn <laughs> no. but there are some like there are some black and white things and more i mean there are most things that are gray areas right so but you know there are some things that in in that use you know because there are as a pediatrician or you know like when you actually you know we always say in medical education like 
it's it, you, you learn from your patients. And ultimately, when you see something that happened, um, let's you can't forget that. And that's what kind of um, as a as a physician or even as a mother, it's like we you know, that's where it comes from. Um, and oftentimes we say, you know, as a mom, like, okay, well, don't jump off the couch, right? Like, like, don't jump on the couch. And ultimately, like, my son will do that until he jumped off the couch and had a nosebleed. Yeah, it's hard to control. Yes. Um, well, so, um, Clara, uh, uh, this has been a really great talk for, uh, for me and Jerry and everybody else, uh, especially on COVID and vaccine and going back to school. Mm -hmm. But um, we usually end um, our sessions with, if you have any final words for fellow Korean American parents and any um, advice. I think that this COVID um, pandemic has really highlighted Asians in general, like our, like the fact that Asian Americans are so are um, like a, a minority, but also we can we sort of have a voice that has been a little bit subdued here in like America, and I think that it's really important um, as Korean American parents to really empower. Um, our children and, and empower ourselves to, um, number one, like embrace our culture and be proud of it. Um, and then number two, utilize our multicultural sort of upbringing um, to advocate and to, um, and to be a voice you know, in greater society for, for ourselves, for Asians, and for, um, you know, like our parents, even because um, I think that previous generations, um, you know, like the, because of language barrier, or what have you have had um, difficulty in, in doing that. And so I think that we have a very unique opportunity. Um, both as parents and as citizens. No, thank you. Those are actually really great words. It must have been a hard year for you in 2020 and continues to be, I know, having to deal with what we all have to deal with. And when I say we all, it's it's the non-medical frontline heroes. Um, it, it's hard as it is. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know if it's an honor or, you know, uh, a shared burden, but, you know, I get a front row seat to it, um, you know, seeing my wife deal with both um, and, and to you and 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 so to you and, and for all the other folks out there, um, whether you're in the medical field, whether you're in, um, you know, any other frontline work, even if you're a grocery clerk, if, you, if you're out there um, having to deal with the, the virus and uh, having to deal with the ramifications of uh, the incompetence that we've had to deal with and suffer from while coming home and uh, trying to raise our kids in, in, in the best way that um, you and your partner and your family think is best. Um, I, I don't know if whether it was medical school or life would have ever trained us efficiently for any of these scenarios, but it is really, really uh, reassuring. And, and we are so grateful that um, you're, you're doing what you're doing and also sharing your thoughts publicly so that other people, um, that you're, you're, you're bridging that gap 
that knowledge gap and that experience gap for other people. Um, cause it's, it's been a challenging year and it continues to be a challenging year. And we're grateful uh, that you're sharing your thoughts and that we're grateful that you came here, uh, to share with our little crew, um, you know, your thoughts specific to our community. So, um, keep on keeping on. I know it's a, it can be a, a challenging, frustrating time, but thank you for what you do. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Korean American Parenting Podcast. I want to thank our guest and for you for joining us today as we share our stories and our perspectives along our own Korean American parenting journeys. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to check out our website, KoreanAmericanParenting.com, to learn more about the podcast, about us, and about our community. Please take a moment to rate and review this episode if you are listening to us on Apple and share this episode and this podcast with a friend or two in your life who you think would benefit from listening to us. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We wish you all the health and happiness as we go along our parenting journeys together. And we'll see you next time on the Korean American Parenting Podcast.